Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 107 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible questions are, what is a deacon, and does the Bible allow for women to serve as deacons? So happy Tuesday, friends. Tomorrow we'll mark our fourth week in quarantine here in California, which is a sentence I never thought I would write for a variety of reasons. Hope you guys are holding tight out there, holding tight to Jesus and his promises, holding tight to each other in love and humble service, and holding tight to the inner workings and leadings of the Holy Spirit of God in you in the midst of this. Today, we are continuing in our pursuit of a biblical gender studies degree and discussing a topic that is somewhat controversial, but probably not as much as yesterday's topic. And I am sort of kidding about the gender studies degree. But here is our big Bible questions. What is a deacon? So we're going to talk about today. What does the Bible say deacons are? And then we're going to talk about a subject that's a little controversial. Different people in different churches have different opinions on it. Does the Bible allow women to serve as deacons? And our big Bible passages of the day are Leviticus 18, Psalms 22, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and 1 Timothy 3. So when I was a kid, I went to church. I pretty much grew up in church. I think my parents started going to church when I was... uh I don't know, five, six, seven, somewhere in that age range. And I remember two important things about deacons from from my childhood. Number one, deacons were the guys who were most likely on Sundays to wear a suit to church. Number two, I remember going to more than one church service where deacons were ordained. And honestly, to young me, that was a pretty fascinating thing. The deacon being ordained would sit in a chair, kneel on the ground or something like that, and the other deacons would come and lay hands on him and whisper in his ear. I think they were probably praying for him or something spiritually like that, but young Chase thought they were sharing like top secret stuff that were for deacons only, and actually that was pretty interesting. I would have given up a pretty hefty amount of my childhood treasures to hear some of those amazing deacon secrets which, again, we're probably just praying for each other. So what are deacons anyway? Are they besuited men that are solemn and tell each other secrets a few times a year? Eh, probably not. Let's go to the Bible. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, sort of tells the origin of deacons. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So a couple of translations of verse 2 there. In the HCSB, it says, the, the disciples are speaking here, Uh, or the apostles slash disciples, and they say it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. The New Living Translation says it would not be right for us to give up teaching the word of God uh, rather than running a food program. 
The Wycliffe translation, you know, way back in the day says, it would not be right for us to leave the word of God and minister to boards, which is funny, but it's actually fairly accurate What is it to what's in the Greek there. And maybe the best translation out there that I can tell that matches up with the Greek is the International Children's Bible, believe it or not, which says, it would not be right to for us to stop our work of teaching God's word in order to sort serve tables. So all of those translations are attempting to translate the phrase diakoneon trapezius, which essentially means to serve slash minister to forefoots, which is what the Greeks called <laughs> tables back then, because, you know, they had four feet. Deacons were called to bring unity to the early church, to take care of the people's needs and serve. A deacon, therefore, is a leader servant who ministers, or a minister who serves in a leading way, or a minister-servant who leads the rest of the church in ministry-slash-service. Deacons have a lead role in churches as ministers and as servants. Servant is probably a bad word to many people, especially Americans, but we got to remember, Jesus himself came as a servant, He exalted servanthood in his teaching, and he proclaimed that, hey, if any of you guys want to be great on earth, guess what? You're going to have to be a servant. So deacons kind of get a head start on that. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and read a little bit about what Paul has to say about elders and deacons, and then we'll come back and talk about them. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, Paul says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace in the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children in their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and a great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I write these things to you, says Paul, hoping to come to you soon, but if I should be a delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So there are a few named deacons in the Bible, and they didn't just help out the church with table waiting type things. Stephen, for instance, was a deacon who preached the word of God incredibly powerfully with signs and wonders accompanying his message, see Acts 6, verse 8. Some people teach that only the apostles taught with signs and wonders, or only those who wrote scripture taught with signs and wonders, but this is not in fact the case, because Stephen did, and also 
the second named deacon in Acts chapter 6, Philip. He was a deacon, and he also proclaimed the message of God accompanied by signs, miracles, and wonders. So deacons were and are important in the church, and they carry out practical and spiritual acts of ministry and service. So what about women? Are women allowed, according to the Bible, to serve as deacons? As I explained in yesterday's show, I am theologically what is known as a complementarian. I don't really like that label. It's just so weird. It's uh, like apologetics. Whenever you say apologetics, people think that you're talking about a good way of saying you're sorry for something or helping Christians apologize for being Christians, whereas apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to defend. So when you're engaging in apologetics, you're not apologizing for being a Christian. You're defending the faith. Similarly, complementarian sounds like that uh, you want to be really good at giving everybody compliments, which, you know, honestly, I do want that, but that's not what the word means. The word means that men and women have uh, different but complementary roles in the kingdom, in the church, and in the family. And so, as a complementarian, I believe that men and women have equal value and worth in God's eyes, but different roles in the kingdom of God and the family. So, Paul wrote yesterday in 1 Timothy 2 that he did not allow a woman to have authority over a man. And in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, he's going to lay out two major offices in God's church. Number one, elders or overseers. It's the Greek word episkopos. Number two, deacons, which is the Greek word diakonos, which we've already talked about. Could mean table waiter, uh, but really means servant or minister, and really it means both. So we're going to talk about elders and overseers in a few days, probably when we get to Titus. But most, most but not all, Protestants equate elders and overseers with pastors and shepherds. And I believe that from everything I can see in Scripture, that the office of pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer should be a male. Practically every complementarian agrees with that position. Practically every egalitarian, which is a school of thought that says that the Bible does not differentiate at all between the sexes in terms of role and function, does not agree with that statement. The egalitarian would say there's no difference, according to the Bible, in what men and women can do. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit more in a few days. Uh, but the one area where many Bible-believing complementarians like myself don't necessarily agree on is in our question of the day. Does the Bible allow for women to be deaconesses? And you can see this disagreement come out in two of the more popular Bible translations out there. For instance, Romans 16 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, which I usually use, says this. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centuria. All right, and by the way, our youngest daughter is named Phoebe after this Phoebe. Uh, so that's what Romans 16 1 says. The translation in the CSB calls Phoebe a servant. Now, Romans 16.1 in the New International Version, or the NIV, says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. So, two translations with two different words. The issue, of course, as you might have guessed, is that the Greek word diakoneon, which is the one there, can be translated either as deaconess or as servant. So was Paul commending Phoebe as a deaconess or was Paul commending Phoebe as a servant? That's the rub. And it's our big question of the day. And you honestly can't tell grammatically 
from the passage in Romans 16.1. It's possible that Paul was commending her as both, but you can't just point to the word and say it's one or the other in that passage because that word can equally mean servant or deaconess. So here's my take on the issue. In 1 Timothy and Titus, Paul gives qualifications for elders, overseers, and deacons. That seems to me and to many churches to be two different offices in the church. The elders seem to be tasked with teaching and leading, and the deacons tasked with serving and ministering. Some churches, however, particularly Baptist churches, seem to blend those two offices into one office and usually call that one office a deacon. In those cases, when that happens, the deacons usually serve as sort of a hybrid between how the Bible describes uh, the office of elder slash overseer and the office of deacon. Other churches, however, have two separate offices. The deacons, on the one hand, serve and minister, and the elders, on the other hand, lead and preach. Now, that doesn't mean an elder can't serve and minister, and but it usually does mean that a deacon won't necessarily preach, although they will teach quite frequently. Uh, on a, a, a class, a small group, uh, something along those lines. Now, when a church is set up in that manner, I see no scriptural issue whatsoever with having female deacons because the Bible makes it very clear that there were women who did have powerful, critically important ministry and serving roles in the early church. Women like Phoebe and Chloe, which my eldest daughter is named after the Chloe in the Bible, women like Philip's daughters who prophesied, women like Priscilla, and many, many others. There were many women that had super important ministry roles in the other in the early church. And in fact, as we've talked about before, the Bible indicates that a group of women traveled around with Jesus and paid and took care of them and were basically was a benefactor for Jesus and the disciple team. So women were super important in the early church. When the primary role of deacons in a church is to minister and serve, then I believe it is a very good thing to have female deacons because I believe the Bible is very clear that all are called to minister and serve, men and women. Three very, actually, let's make it four, uh, well, three very prominent Baptists and one Calvinist who is also complementarian uh, agree wholeheartedly with this position. And I want to read you some things from them. So we're going to get the take of John Piper, uh, Pastor David Platt, uh, theologian John Calvin, and pastor and seminary professor Thomas Schreiner. Now, this is only going to be a short take. You can kind of go find more of what these guys have written on this subject. But let's go to Piper first. What Piper says is this. Were women deacons? Probably yes, he says. There are four observations that incline me to think that this office was held by both men and women. Number one, the Greek word for deacon can be masculine or feminine in the same form. So the word itself does not settle the issue. That might be uh, confusing to some of you who've not studied another language. English is kind of the oddball language or an oddball language because our words don't have gender, but other languages, uh, their words do have gender, and that means they might have a different ending. The same word, if it applies to a male or a female, would have a different ending or a different uh, beginning or something along those lines, slightly different spelling, pronunciation, etc., uh, so in the Greek, the Greek word for deacon can refer to men or women. So that in itself doesn't settle the issue. Number two, says Piper, in the middle of the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, which we just read, Paul says, the women likewise must be serious, no slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. 
This could mean, says Piper, the wives of the deacons, but it actually could also mean the women deacons themselves. The latter is suggested by the fact that no reference to women or wives is made in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 when Paul is giving the qualifications for uh, overseers and elders. Since women were not candidates for the eldership in the New Testament, according to 1 Timothy 2, 12-13, because of its authoritative function in teaching and oversight, the absence of the reference to women or wives in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 would be expected. But this confirms the probability that the reference to women in 1 Timothy 3.11 is to women deacons, not merely to wives of deacons. And Piper doesn't say it, maybe Platt says it later, but the Greek word there is the Greek word gune, and it could be translated as women, it could be translated as wives. It's a pretty multi-purpose word. Number three, says Piper, the deacons were distinguished from the elders in that they were not the governing body in the church, nor were they charged with the duty of authoritative teaching. So the role of deacon seems not to involve anything that Paul taught in 1 Timothy 2.12 or anywhere else, which is inappropriate for women to perform in the church. Number four, in Romans 16.1, Phoebe is very probably called a deacon. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon, yes, of the church, at Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord as befits the saints, and help her in whatever way she may require from you, for she has been a helper of many and of myself as well. It appears, says Piper, then, that the role of deacon is of such a nature that nothing stands in the way of women's full participation in it. Within the deaconate itself, the way that women and men relate to each other would be guided by the sense of appropriateness growing out of the biblical teaching of male and female complementarity. Now, Thomas Schreiner is a uh, Southern Baptist pastor and writer, and uh, he's a theologian and a professor at the flagship Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And this is what he says on the topic. Some worry that appointing women as deacons violates what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2.12, where women are prohibited from teaching or exercising authority over men. We must recognize, however, that deacons occupy a different position from elders, pastors, and overseers. The latter is one office, as Ben Merkel has argued, and there's a link in the in the notes at Bible Reading Podcast to Ben's article, in which two qualities are required that are not required of deacons. First, elders must have an ability to teach biblical truth and correct deviant teaching. Second, they must have gifts of leadership. And remarkably, teaching and exercising authority over men is the very thing disallowed for women in 1 Timothy 2.12. Women, therefore, may serve as deacons because the diaconal office is one of serving, not leading. Deacons don't teach and exercise authority, but rather help and serve in the church's ministry. In many Baptist churches, deacons, along with the staff pastor or pastors, lead the church, but in these instances, the deacons are really functioning as elders, and in such cases, the deacons probably should be called elders, says Shriners pastors, or overseers. The earliest evidence we have is that deacons helped care for the poor and sick. There is some freedom in how deacons serve since the New Testament doesn't prescribe precise responsibilities. In the church I serve as elder, says Schreiner, deacons carry out many responsibilities. We have role-specific deacons, that is, deacons of finance, of hospitality, of ushering, of greeting, of building maintenance, of sound, and so on. The deacons don't meet together regularly as a group since their tasks differ dramatically. Christians who love God's word differ on whether women may serve as deacons, 
but the evidence presented here suggests that they may do so, and in such a ministry they are a great blessing to the church, and the women who serve are encouraged as they use their gifts. And I didn't read all of Schreiner's article, but there's a link at the website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, to his article on thegospelcoalition.org. And all you need to do is just come see the show notes for episode 107, and you'll see it there. David Platt, a pastor in McLean Bible Church, which I think is in Virginia. Um, He used to be at Church of Brook Hills uh, at the seminary that I worked at there. And very occasionally, I would see Pastor Platt. Uh, although we were not best buddies or anything like that, I think very highly of him. This is what he said in Secret Church, uh, which is like a, a 12-hour intensive Bible teaching time, one of my favorite things to go to. This is what he said at Secret Church 2010. The last question there, what about women? We've seen the elders are men. What about deacons? And basically, there's two schools of thought on this one. Can women be deacons? There are two schools of thought. One says yes, and the other says no. So here's the deal. There are Bible-believing scholars and pastors, says Platt, that I respect greatly that are on both sides of this picture. Some of you might be thinking, well, hey, look at 1 Timothy 3. It's pretty easy. It says deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, etc. And then it says, verse 11, in verse 11, their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderous, but servant-minded, faithful in all things. Each deacon can be the husband of one wife. So some say, well, that's, it's just that easy. But Platt says, I don't think it's necessarily that easy here. Four things I want you to think about that point out what I think is a possibility that yes, yes, women can be deacons in the church. And I want you to follow with me. Number one, consider the translation. When you get to verse 11 there, 1 Timothy 3, you probably have a note. And it, in, in that note in your Bible, at the bottom, it says, uh, their, uh, their wives there. And that there, T-H-E-I-R, is not in some manuscripts. And the picture is many people, many Bible scholars, believe that this is just talking about women, not their wives. And there's ambiguity there. Consider the translation here. Paul's transition, I'm sorry, consider the transition here. Paul transitions at that point in the same way that he transitioned when he went from elders to deacons, then to the third picture of what some would say deaconesses. Consider the elders' wives like Why did he not say anything about elders' wives, especially when an elder had more responsibility in the home and more leadership responsibility in the church, in a sense? They said nothing about elders' wives. And then consider what I call the Phoebe factor, says Platt. Romans 16.1, we already read it. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria. And the word there for servant is deaconess. Deaconess, which would seem to point to a deacon role. And there are churches represented in this room that, if I could be honest, Deacons basically serve as elders, and deacons are more of an overseeing body. If that's the case in a church, says Platt, then I would not say uh, women should be deacons, because in that case, they're basically serving as elders in an overall role. But when it comes to somebody leading out in a hospitality ministry, somebody leading out in a variety of different ministries, and you look in the New Testament and you see 17 different women that Paul mentions that are in significant leadership positions in the church, doing different things in ministries in the church, serving in different ways in the church, I think the reality is that if we have a proper understanding of elders elders and deacons and where they fit, I think it makes total sense that it's certainly possible. So how it all works, every member of the church is a member, is a minister of the gospel. Ephesians 4 makes that very clear. Every, every member of the church minister. So that's Platt's take. And he obviously isn't making a strong case for, uh, women to be 
deaconesses, but he definitely seems to lead that way. And if I recall correctly, he led uh, the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama, in that direction as well. Um, All right, so John Calvin, I'm going to read two short little clips from him. Calvin says, He commends to them Phoebe, to whom he gave this epistle of Romans to be brought to them. Pause. That's very interesting. A lot of people say that Phoebe, the diaconeon, or the servant minister deaconess, was the one that carried the letter of Romans to the Romans. So that's what Calvin believed. He commends to them Phoebe, to whom this epistle of Romans was was to brought them. And in the first place, he commends her on account of her office, for she performed a most honorable and a most holy function in the church. And then he adduces another reason why they ought to receive her and show her every kindness, for she had always been a helper to all the godly. So that's what Calvin says in his commentary on Romans. And in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, he says, Deaconesses were created not to appease God with songs or unintelligible mumbling, not to live the rest of their time in idleness, but to discharge the public ministry of the church toward the poor and to strive with all zeal, constancy, and diligence in the task of love. So Calvin is on team deaconess, Piper is, Schreiner is, Platt is, and this guy doing the podcast is, and my voice is not very important on that issue, but I'll say this. As a complementarian, one who has the sometimes unpopular view that the Bible very clearly teaches that men and women have equal value uh, but different roles, I do believe in women in ministry with all of my heart. I believe the Great Commission is given to men and women. I believe there's multiple charges to minister in the Word of God to men and women. We're all called to do the things of the kingdom. And as David Platt pointed out, there are well over a dozen very important women in the Bible mentioned as having just really crucial roles in the first century church. And I believe that women should have crucial, important roles in the 21st century church. And so that is why I believe in a church where there are elders and deacons, women can and should biblically serve as deacons. I'd love to hear your take on that matter. Maybe you disagree with that. Uh, I'd love to to read. I mean, look, I can understand where you would come to that conclusion because it's basically a matter of how you translate diaconon in um, Romans 16.1 and how you take 1 Timothy 3. Is Paul talking about the wives of deacons or is he talking about female deacons? I think he's talking about female deacons and I'm persuaded of that because he says nothing about the wives of elders, which would seem to be um, a, I don't know, uh, a more, th- there's more qualifications given to the office of elder for one. And the fact that he doesn't say anything about their wives, but does emphasize the importance of wives for deacons seems really strange. It seems more likely to me that what Paul is talking to is the idea of women who are in that diaconal serving ministry role. Let us go on and read Leviticus chapter 18. And I got to tell you, beloved, Leviticus is just not the easiest book in the Bible to read through. There are all sorts of things in this book that are uh, eyebrow raising. And today we've got a bunch of them. So buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 1. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord your God. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live, or follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You must not follow their customs. You are to practice my ordinances and you are to keep my statutes by following them. I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. You are not to come near any close relative for sexual intercourse. I am the Lord. You are not to violate the intimacy that belongs to your father or your mother. She is your mother. You must not have sexual intercourse with her. You are not to have sex with your father's wife. She is your father's family. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's, whether born at home or born elsewhere. You are not to have sex with her. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, for they are your family. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your father's wife's daughter, who is adopted by your father. She is your sister. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your father's sister. She is your father's close relative. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your mother's sister, for she is your mother's close relative. You are not to violate the intimacy that belongs to your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual intercourse. She is your aunt. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You are not to have sex with her. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your brother's wife. She is your brother's family. You are not to have sexual intercourse with a woman and her daughter. You are not to marry her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter and have sex with her. They are close relatives. It is depraved. You are not to marry a woman as a rival to her sister and have sexual intercourse with her during her sister's lifetime. You are not to approach a woman during her menstrual impurity to have sexual intercourse with her. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your neighbor's wife defiling yourself with her. You are not to sacrifice any of your children in the fire to Molech. Do not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You are not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable. You are not to have sexual intercourse with any animal defiling yourself with it. A woman is not to present herself to an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do not defile yourself by any of these practices, for the nations I am driving out before you have defiled themselves by these things. The land has become defiled, so I am punishing it for its iniquity, and the land will vomit out its inhabitants. But you are to keep my statutes and ordinances. You must not commit any of these detestable acts, not the native or the alien who resides among you. For the people who were in the land prior to you have committed all of these detestable acts, and the land has become defiled. If you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it has vomited out the nations that were before you. Any person who does any of these detestable practices is to be cut off from his people. You must keep my instruction to not do any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you, so that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. But I By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me. 
because distress is near. There's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. People look and stare at me. They divide my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life, their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting. It returns to the place where it rises, gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning, goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, See, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. Well, brothers and sisters, that is kind of a downcast place to end. 
But I do pray that the Word of God encouraged you today. I do pray that in this hour of quarantine and difficulty, you will look to Jesus and remember His great love, His proclamation of the gospel, His gift of the Holy Spirit that He offers to all who are saved by Him. Look to Him and be strengthened. Look to Him and believe. Look to Him and be delivered. Look to Him and be saved. God bless you and Godspeed.